Um, who are you? I am Dr. Sherry Yafai. So we're super excited. We have Dr. Sherry Yafai with us, and I'm Lauren Taylor. I'm Dr. Jason Cohen. Yeah, and welcome <laughs> to Gross Anatomy. So, so my question is, is yeah. how do you, an emergency room doctor, married to an attorney, no yes. less, I know that you're married <laughs> yes. to an attorney because we've talked about it, how does an emergency room doctor married to an attorney all of a sudden segue to saying, hey, I'm going to become a cannabis doctor? Picture this. Yes. Yeah late 2016 November and we are voting on medical marijuana policy here in California since 1996 medical marijuana has been legal in 1996 1996 so we're recreationally no no medically oh medical so for 24 years medically right I put this in air quotes because all of all of us in the medical world thought it was complete bullshit right or 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 did we? Yeah, is that, is that she question? said bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And so now, so this is no longer a PG podcast. So We're now an R podcast. Dun, dun, dun. No, yeah. So now, um, in 2016 November. Here in California, we're voting on recreational medical, uh, recreational marijuana right. laws. Right. Right. And that night, it passes. Okay. And I get home and, and we and I look to my husband and I say, "Hey, should we open up a pop shop? This this stuff's legal now. Mm-hmm. Like, should we be changing professions?" And he looked at me and goes, of course not. Don't be ridiculous. You have a medical degree. <laughs> like you can't open a pot shop. I right. said. Well, you know, if people need to use it, maybe we can, like, give them advice and, and give them the medication they need at the same time. What is right. this? Like, what yeah. is this stuff even? Yeah. That was my attitude. I was like, what is this stuff even? I had no idea right. what marijuana, cannabis, none of it. I had no idea what any of this was about. What do you mean? I, I, you mean medical marijuana? No, I didn't know what pop was, okay? I literally... What do you, mean? you were I, an adult in I California. Had ne- I had never you smoked were pot in my life. Really? Literally. Okay. And you I... You didn't go to college? I went to college. I was I'm a kidding, very, I was yeah, a yeah, very, yeah. very, you know, uh-huh. face in the books, glasses on. Yeah. So it, it was one of these things where I just, I was, you know, completely fascinated because I knew nothing about it. What I didn't know was my... Two of my close family members were going through chemo and cancer treatments, huh. and both of their oncologists... In 2016. In both of them were like, you can smoke pot, it's fine, it'll sure. help with your symptoms. Why they not? recommended it, or it came up? Or you it, don't came up. Right. it came up. It came up. They looked at me, and they're like, you're a doctor, you you tell us what we should be smoking. I was like, right. I, I have no idea. Right, because it's medical marijuana, but doctors don't know how to talk about right. it. Right. And so it was a big, I call it a big scam, because... We called it medical, but we didn't teach it. We didn't train people mm-hmm. on it. We didn't acknowledge it in medicine. What do you? The whole premise was someone would show up to like some little room. There'd be a guy there who's getting paid, you know, per person, and it was a mill. And they right. you just go have to over, say, "I have yeah. headaches," and they're like, right. "Okay." And they'd sign you a card, and you'd get your card. That's exactly right. But it actually came out of in 1996. The reason it came up, and the reason we passed it here in California, do you know? Pop quiz. Mm-mm. Pop quiz. The reason it <laughs> passed? <laughs> why did we have the Compassionate Use Act of 1996? Oh, I Tell don't us know. why, Dr. Who, who are we being compassionate towards? That's a great question. I don't know. The AIDS group of San Francisco. Uh, so, in the late 80s, in the 80s right, right, we had a huge boom in the <clears> AIDS. That's what AIDS came in. And San Francisco was the Mecca mm. of, of the AIDS population. They right. were all there. And so they were using, just like they had, what was it, the ACT parties, mm-hmm. um, they had pop 
Canva's um, buying companies or wow. Canva's buying clubs, right? And so they were, you know, feeling miserable on death's door and yeah. they were using and then they were being penalized for it. Mm. And wow. so they created the Compassionate Care, the Compassionate Act because of AIDS patients in San Francisco. Interesting. And it passed in 96 so that these patients could have access to medication mm -hmm. and cancer patients could have access to medication to use for anorexia or being hungry because mm -hmm. they were hungry back then or they were, they were starving because right. of their disease. Right to increase their appetite right. and help with pain management at end-of-life care. So it was compassion towards this group of people. So now, you know, and then you take it 20 years later and AIDS patients are no longer dying. We're, we're treating them. They're living, you know, with the disease. They're mm -hmm. living with unmeasurable or undetectable viral counts and they're doing very well. And lo and behold, now you see the mill that we're talking about. Right. Where, you know. So I probably a ton of other doctors, myself included, thought, hey, let's do something in medical marijuana. How did you have the, for lack of a better word, balls to, <laughs> to, to do it, though? Because it's scary on many levels. It's scary, A, it's a business. B, it's a new kind of thing. C, there's the whole, or is your medical license going to be put into jeopardy right. a little bit? So how, how did you, from the idea, actually say, make that leap? Like, what... So that was going back to yeah. the, the recreational act. So yeah. I figured this was this was literally my thought. If this stuff will be available like Tylenol over the counter and yet no one's talking about it, aren't we doing our patients a disservice? Yeah. Why are we not stepping? Because isn't that really what right. medicine is about? But at the end of the day, up? it's still illegal on a federal level. It is. So did that scare you? No, because I looked up some of the rules. Of and you're married to a lawyer. <laughs> and, I, and I did a little bit of deep diving. Right. And you start looking at the laws and who's done it and what, they, right. what they're getting in trouble for, what they're not getting right. in trouble for. Right. And you really have to do a deep dive. And you see that the Supreme Court actually did a ruling about how you can discuss it. Right. And you cannot get you can recommend it for talking about it. Right. And then, and then guess what? Around the same time, our you know opioid crisis became came to a head, and right. they were now requiring of us to write Narcan prescriptions for heroin overdose. Right. Right. Guess what heroin and cannabis has in common? What? They are the same level of illegal. Right. Yeah. So on the federal level, both are exactly equal mm -hmm. illegally. Right? Yeah. You got to you got to go where you got to go. Cocaine right. is yeah, illegal yeah, yeah. on the same level we talk about yeah. coke. There's a yeah. huge coke problem. We talk about meth. Meth is illegal as well. Yeah. Guess what? We talk and bill insurance wise. We bill for cocaine, uh, you know, counseling. We bill for oh, alcohol counseling. counseling. Gotcha. We bill for nicotine counseling. So we do talk about this. Mm -hmm. I think we just have garnered this really aggressive level of fear amongst ourselves for really not a whole lot of reason. Yeah. Because we talk about all these other federally illegal, exactly the same drugs, but we don't think like, oh my God, why are you talking about heroin? Right. We're mandated to talk about heroin. You know that I I also am interested in the cannabis space. That's one of the reasons why we've um, gotten closer. Um, and for me, as a cancer surgeon, I always had... Even, you know, I've been here for two, 20 years now, practically. Um, every patient, especially like the old grandma who had cancer pain or something, same kind of thing, would always say to me, Doc, what do you think about, should I try some marijuana? My answer to them was always, yeah, I think it'll help you. And then they'd be like, okay, so what do I do now? And I'd be like, 
talk to your son or your grandson and get some from them, you right. know, so. Right, so There was a real to, need. There's a real need. Yeah. And you talk. But I didn't have the courage and the guts to do what you did. But I think, I think the goal now is to, you know, to invigorate our physicians and invigorate our medical staff to mm-hmm. have that courage or gusto. Right. And in fact, I write a column for Emergency Medicine News. Mm-hmm. So this is a reputable emergency medicine journal that comes out monthly online and quarterly on paper and mm-hmm. gets sent out to ER doctors. And I had a real gripe with them talking only about cannabis hyperemesis syndrome and only talking about you know, cannabis overuse Mm -hmm. syndrome. And I said, you know what that would be akin to is every single article talking about opiates, only talking about opioid mortality and talking about opioid-induced constipation and never actually addressing what it's being used to treat because Mm -hmm. we use opiates a lot and it has a good value, right? It has a great value. It has great value to patients. And post-operative pain has a great value. I think actually we're under using them now, believe it or not. Uh, oh, I, I yeah, think we're we under have, treating patients right, right now. The pendulum has swung in the exact yeah. opposite direction. We're like telling them, tough it out. Tough, right. And right? people don't like it. Imagine yeah. that. I know. Exactly. <laughs> but we should talk about, so you started the Real Leaf Institute. Right. So I started the Relief Institute. Relief, Relief. Institute. I said it separate words. Relief? It's all one word, but I said it. It's R-E- spelled L-E-A-F. L-E-A-F. Like a leaf. Like yeah. a leaf on the tree. Oh, yes. Exactly. Working on both pain relief mm-hmm. and... Of course, the leaf on a tree, or in this case, the leaf of a flower. Right. Or the leaf of a, a weed, because right. it's technically a weed. Which is where the, that's why it's called weed. That's why it's called weed. So, what, so relief what are you has doing two now? aspects. Yeah. So, one aspect of relief is clinical treatment of patients. So, we use only cannabis-based medicine out of the office. Mm-hmm. Um, the, their regular medical prescriptions should still go through their primary care doctor's office so that mm-hmm. we don't disrupt care, because the goal is to encourage that you know i'm all about encouraging physician patient relationship and i want to make that stronger because mm-hmm. we're really in this really weird state where social media has completely devalued the physician in my opinion yeah has created the physician as being the the negative point not the healthcare industry yeah the whole other problem um and we're seeing there's practitioners and pas now in different states take over the role of a physician, which, again, we can get into later. But um, so I really want to value that relationship and not disrupt it. So this is designed to be an adjunct to physician-patient relationships. And then part two of it is actually physician education so that you don't have to be stuck, you know, not knowing what to say when your 90-year-old grandma says, you know, what should I use when they come in for post-operative Well, now what I do is I say, Call Dr. Sherry Afai, and we give her number, and uh, right, yeah, you've treated right. a few of my patients. So, so one of your patients um, has come in for insomnia purposes, mm-hmm. so Ambien mm-hmm. is actually a big issue right now. Ambien, right. Lunesta, um, they're called hypnosedatives mm-hmm. in the medical world, and they are, should we go back to the worst? Now, they are tasteless and smellless, and they are pill forms. Right. So, so they, and they literally will zonk you out. So to get back to why, um, so we had a recent article a couple, I think six, eight months ago, where we, uh, there was a discussion about all of these hypnosedatives being bad for your brain, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, having these really bad side effects. Do you remember the Roseanne Barr quote that came out of Ambien or that was related to No, Ambien? I do mm-hmm. not remember the Roseanne Barr. So, Wait, there we go. Pop there we culture. Go. There we go. Here's See? <laughs> and you didn't even watch any shows, but I, you get brought us Roseanne Barr. Okay. 
So Roseanne Barr, and this is why she got fired from her own TV show, right? The what it was her yeah. Roseanne Barr. Yeah, the Roseanne Barr show. Right. Yeah. So she got fired because she tweeted out that uh, a very racist text, oh. and then afterwards she te- or she tweeted, um, you know, oh, I didn't really say that. It was the Ambien that made me do it. Ah. Uh. Uh, and so. Ambien came out and says that we don't cause racist hating, right? <laughs> oh, she God, got I remember that. Fired from her, yeah. She got fired from her show for it. Interesting. And so, all because of Ambien. All because of Ambien. There you go. So all of these medications, you it's very well known that you may sleep dry, you may right. sleep walk, oh, right, right, right. sleep eat. Yeah. Um, and you know, and then ultimately you're actually addicted, by yeah. the way. Right. Which right. they, they didn't talk about. Right. It, People who need, right, they can't sleep without it. Not only can they I not know. sleep, they will be, some of my patients have diarrhea withdrawals. Some patients have mm. um, a little I love diarrhea. anxiety. Right. Gotta go, we gotta go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so taking patients off of Ambien, and mm-hmm. you gotta, I would, you know, I would say we have to replace something with it because you can't kick it off cold turkey. Um, some people like to say, well, are you replacing one drug with another? Yes. That's mm-hmm. in general how medicine works. Right. We do use other medications to wean people off. The goal is to use something that's less addictive mm-hmm. with less abuse potentials. And also, by the way, something that you can stop much more easily. But only less harmful and less overall. Harmful. And with, less harmful. With less side effects. Exactly. Like I love the way we talked about it before, I think, um, alcohol is recommended to have a glass of wine, red wine at night. And that's a huge scam. That's the Yeah, that's that's the alcohol industry being super powerful and marketing that we should all drink. A hundred percent. And then having it on every T V show and every commercial. Right. Mom is unwinding with a glass of wine, a young lady or a young man at social hour, happy hour, you know, it's like the it's in every T V show too. Every show. And you know what that's called? those people? They're called alcoholics, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, and yet it's okay, and we wouldn't call them an alcoholic. I have to say it kind of works in TV shows, though, because I'm always like, oh, I kind of want to drink now. Yeah, right. Of course. Uh-huh. And you like, think about, like, well, how would I unwind? I would mm-hmm. pour myself a nice glass of rosé. Rosé had a really big moment. Yeah. Everything yeah. was rosé. So it's so weird, and I'm going to give you another pop quiz. So yeah. what is the only medical indication? I hate pop quizzes. <laughs> pop quiz. We're going to pop quizzes. Okay, pop quiz. Pop quizzes. Yeah. What is the only oh, medical Oh, pop quizzes I like. <laughs> <laughs> what is the only medical indication for alcohol? There's only one. We're bad at pop quizzes and pop quizzes. I probably do know. So as soon as you tell me, I'm going to be... Right. It is the only indication for alcohol. Interesting. Alcohol withdrawal. No, there are other indications. Cleaning the skin before a procedure. Right, but that's that's not ingested. That was a joke. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, we have so many indications for cannabis. Right. And so it becomes this, you know, people like to peg it into alcohol and nicotine, but there is, it's so vastly different from alcohol and nicotine that have zero medical indications, real medical indications. So, So how do you combat people who say... Um, that there aren't really great studies or real good data about cannabis. I yeah. would actually say, have you looked up pub, anything in PubMed? Yeah. 
And so PubMed is our, you know, is our like wiki, what is it? Not wiki. Um, we, Wikipedia? Wikipedia. Yeah. Right? Like Wikipedia? Wikipedia. Uh-huh. Uh, that would be, I think there is a Wikipedia. Is there really? I don't know. I'm sure Probably. there is. Yeah. There is hollyweed.com. Right <laughs> okay. Um, so if you look up, you know, if you look up THC, cannabis, marijuana, CBD on PubMed, there are tons of studies. Randomized, controlled, so, double-blinded, so all that stuff? So here's where the problem comes. Right. Okay. So it's really interesting. I met somebody um, who was involved in a study out of UCLA in the 1970s, mm-hmm. 60s, 70s, and you know, he, he, would t- he told me about how they would do studies, and it was really funny. He's like, we had a couple of us who they housed at the NPI center in, at UCLA when it was a really small neuropsychiatric institute, Back to your neuropsychiatry. You bring it all back home. Bring it all back home. And he's like, you know, they would give us something to smoke and one person wouldn't get, you know, one person would be a placebo and I got the actual pot. And he's like, and of course you knew what we were getting. Right. There's no randomization. No, but he's like, no, it was a double-blinded placebo study, but he... Yeah, but you knew if you were getting the pot. Exactly. Right. He he was really funny. He's like, so we felt bad for the guy who wasn't getting it, so we'd sneak some to him anyway. Right. So <laughs> so the study, right. but he's like they they didn't actually end up printing a lot of these studies. Mm. Why? Because they weren't having the negative outcomes that they were designed for. And oh, they, they were designed for negative oh, outcomes. They were designed for yeah. negative outcomes. Uh, and this is this blew my mind. Yeah. Because really, in medicine, we're so trained to believe and and think that you know everything is done for the good of mankind and for the good of the patient and you know studies that have good value are 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 given grants and they will be published but that's not reality right and uh, you've been in medicine now for 20 years you see that money talks yeah you know that things that are designed for a certain outcome in a certain way are going to get published right and it's not even just money talks it's people who are writing papers are writing papers for their benefit Correct. to prove their point. Correct. They're going to figure out a way to prove their point. Absolutely. I and tell everybody gonna, that. They're gonna, they yeah. can potentially change statistical yeah. analysis for it. They're going to change the population they're doing yeah. it on. And they're going to create it to get the outcomes they want. So, yeah. so then you start talking to people who are actually involved in these studies. I had another patient, and this is, this is crazy. She was one of the professors who did these studies. Oh, wow. And she made me laugh so hard. She's like, do you know we would go to LAX, you know, and get, you know, a box of marijuana because it had to come from Ole Miss in a super right. secretive box, you know, but labeled and this and that. And you had to, like, meet the people right then and there when they were dropping off the box and take it back to your lab under lock and key. She's like, this one day, you know, we were very hypervigilant about it. And because this was a schedule one controlled substance. And one time I missed the drop off. And so I I missed the drop off from LAX. And so I had to go and claim, you know, my schedule one illegal drug from LAX. She's like, and so they directed her to Lost and Found. And the security guard at Lost and Found said, wow, you're the first person who's ever come back to claim their pot. (laughs) And he's like, and she opens and they open up a closet that's full of weed. Oh my God. (laughs) And she's the first person to come back to claim her weed that's left over at LAX. So you just hit upon an interest. Did I let you finish the story? Yeah. Which is up till even now, I think in order to do a legal study on marijuana, you had to get it from one single institution grown at one single place 
in the country. Like if you were trying to do a real study, government approved, oh. there's only one place in the country where you could get the marijuana from, even though there's marijuana everywhere. Mm -hmm. You had to use their, what state is it? Ole Miss, Ole Mississippi. Mississippi. You uh -huh. had to use the Mississippi pot that's a that's very different from all the other pots right. to do the study. Right. And so it would be And like, it's still the case, right? It, well, they're starting to right. open up the, the biggest advantage of January twenty nineteen mm -hmm. has been that they legalized hemp and mm -hmm. all hemp products. Mm -hmm. Right. And didn't create any rules or regulations or create any you know, standardizations or requirements about anybody in the hemp CBD world. They so legalized hemp recreationally or medicinally? They didn't, they ignored the medical aspect. Right, they So they just, they just legalized hemp. Right. And so we know that CBD can be produced from hemp. Right. And so... But THC supposedly is not at all produced from technically hemp. Technically speaking... Maybe teeny, itsy, bitsy amounts. Less than 0.3% of THC. Just so you know, did you know that? No, I did not so know So hemp and... and Regular Can well, they're marijuana. both cannabis. right? Marijuana so. and hemp are the same family. Correct. You, you're the expert. I have a documentary on yeah, Amazon. I, I look oh, forward yeah. to. Thank you. You're Thanks. welcome. Which uh, people can just Google. It's cannabis and your doctor, and it explains everything. It's yeah, it's on thirty Amazon minutes. Prime. Yeah, I saw it on Amazon. And it explains Prime. exactly what you're doing. And I thought you made a really good point where you were like, you know. People will have cancer and their doctor will say, you know, you, you can try marijuana, but they won't know what to do. And then they go to like a bud tender. Right. And the bud, bud tender's like, oh my, you know, like we'll say whatever, like, oh, my cousin likes this one. That's not good medical. It's not medical advice, obviously. But so they can come to you and actually like you can look at what they're already taking. Like That's right. So a lot of times people will come in and literally like vomit up the number of different things the bud tender told them to take. Mm -hmm. So they'd be like, you know, a chocolate here and a toffee candy here and a tea here and um, a couple tinctures there. And they'll be like, well, I tried them all and I don't know which one's working or how it's working or if it's working. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a little bit. And they're a salesperson. Right. Essentially. As a medical provider, mm -hmm. you always, always ask, what's your diagnosis? Right. Always. That's your mm -hmm. starting point. Or you point. figure out the diagnosis. Or you figure out, right. right. Or you evaluate to figure out what your diagnosis right. is. Right. Because if you don't have a diagnosis, you're shooting, you know, you're right. shooting random mm -hmm. right. arrows, right? And so if the bud tender is not allowed and shouldn't be, right, asking right. for diagnosis and giving you medication based on that. So they're just telling you what feels good to them or what mm -hmm. they like or what tastes That's what they're good. doing. That's yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. So as a medical provider, we want to say, you know, if if you have this diagnosis, you should be really using a hemp CBD problem, you know, basis. You should really be using a cannabis ratio with um, a high amount of THC because that's more indicated for neuropathic pain. Right. So, because we have studies, going back to do we have studies, we have studies coming out of UC San Diego, a handful, in fact, that um, have evaluated double-blind placebo using certain amount of THC in neuropathic pain patients that THC is beneficial, so much so that the Medical Board of California changed their recommendations on the use of cannabis, specifically THC, for neuropathic pain versus pharmaceuticals like gabapentin. So, you can... Recommend cannabis THC equal footing to gabapentin for neuropathic pain and have good medical data behind it. Mm -hmm. So that's an easy way. But if you walk into the store and say, 
I've got pain. Is it chronic pain? Is it cancer right. pain? Is it postoperative pain? Right? right. And as in medicine, I have so many questions based on what you're yeah, saying. In medicine, we don't go like it hurts, so give me something. Right. We say, what does it hurt? Why does right. it hurt? Right. Do I need to do, you know, do I need to do uh, an evaluation because you have a tumor that you don't know about? I had a patient for three to four months was getting evaluated while we were treating his pain, his abdominal pain, mind you. He had gotten CT scans, MRIs, steroid treatments. Ended up he had a glioblastoma, which is a brain tumor. Mm. And that was what was causing his wow. almost like phantom-like abdominal wow. And so the point is, is if you walk into wow. a dispensary and you're just treating pain because you've got pain and mm-hmm. you heard it's good for pain, what are we missing? Oh, right. that's a good right? point. I didn't think about that. So just to talk about quickly, uh, for most of our listeners probably do, so what part of cannabis causes the... Hi, what part causes the feel-good stuff? How do you decide, do you get only the high stuff or some of the feel-good stuff, or do you mix them? In, a, in other words, THC, CBD. Right, so THC, tetrahydrocannabinoid, that is what we, that is what's classically known as what gets you high, or what the makes THC. you feel good, yeah. is the THC. This comes in a wide variation, so if you're talking about smokes, you can get 6%, which is what they used to have in the 60s and 70s. Right. right. And now most of the time you can't get lower than 10 to 12%, with the average being closer to about 20 and the high being about 28%. Now, that's just in terms of flour. When you get into these vape oils, which I'm honestly, there's really very few indications for those, but the vape oils can get you up to 90% THC. And what's CBD? What's and the then CBD? CBD. So cannabidiol is the other part, or the you know the yin to the yang mm-hmm. of the plant, and that's mostly found in hemp. Mm-hmm. Some of the plants in cannabis have been now um, engineered to create more CBD in the plants, mm-hmm. and that is the part that doesn't get you high. That's the part that now is most well known for treating severe epilepsy. Which part, which part is the appetite part? THC, THC or CBD? Which part is the generalized feeling good part? THC. Which part is the anti-cancer part? Some people are wondering, right. is there so some this anti-cancer? Is this. So right now we've got studies just beginning to surface on glioblastoma multiforme, mm-hmm. so a very specific type of brain tumor. Yeah. And breast cancer mm-hmm. are the two biggest ones that we've started to see studies on. And they're seeing both CBD and THC being beneficial. Mm-hmm. So we, we haven't teased it out quite yet. Right. But the other thing that's now starting to surface is immunotherapy. So we are seeing potential problems with cannabis use and immunotherapy. Mm. And so we're not sure if we should or should not be using it with patients with immunotherapy. Interesting. Which one is for sleep? THC. So THC is for everything. So why then Why then is everybody, why so is CBD anxiety, such a big thing now? Why anxiety, are people doing CBD teas and CBD this and CBD that? CBD cream, CBD ointment, CBD gels for my aches and my pain. Right. So CBD is number one is... Bupkis or is it It's real? not. It's, okay. There's a lot that CBD can do, right. but the best part about CBD is it yeah. makes people not feel high. And mm-hmm. overwhelmingly, the biggest you know number of people, they don't necessarily want to get high. Right. You know, they, they want to be able to go about their right. day and not deal with their arthritic pains. So right. I have one 86-year-old 
who I've, I've been treating really well, actually, because she was waking up, oh, about 10 times at night because she'd roll over in her sleep and it would hurt her arthritic joints and it would make her wake up at night. So CBD is thought to be good for pain? So CBD can be specific, very specific types of pain. So arthritic pains, it seems to be very helpful. Okay. And in fact, UCLA just got a grant to do an arthritis study with CBD. Wow. So the other big hype around CBD is January 2019. It's legal everywhere. Right. It's legal everywhere. Yeah. Anyone can make it and make right. any sorts of claims they want. Right. It doesn't mean that they don't have good value. Mm -hmm. It just means that our, you know, our advertising social media voice is much louder than our medical voice. Right. Does... Do most CBD products have some THC in them, or they're really just pure CBD, or you're not sure? Most have that less than 0.3% right. THC. Isn't it felt, though, that the real benefits, without getting crazy into it, is a mixture of some ratio? So for a lot of patients, they're going to find benefit from a ratio. The problem is, is that CBD in and of itself is, is more accessible. Right. Ratio meds get hard, mm -hmm. they're, and they're hard for people to dose. Right. They're hard for people to understand because right. it's like doing hydrocodone or Percocet versus right. using just oxy or just right. Um, codeine. Right. Because right. so, hydrocodone and Percocet have Tylenol and the codeine. Right. Because right. then you now have to educate people. Oh, you can't take Tylenol right. on top of taking Percocet. Right. Or Vicodin. Or just or more Tylenol. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, yeah. it's just more Tylenol. But now it requires a lot more in-depth counseling. Right. But that's what works better. For some. So for some indications, right? right? So we go back to what's the indication. Right. So for... So let me back up. So when patients come to you, you started saying, and they tell you, oh, I've tried this, I've tried that. Do you say, like, how, yeah. what do you tell them? Like, how do you know that what they're going to buy is going to be the same thing over and over again? Great question. So here in California... Yeah. The best part about recreational legalization was the mandated rules of testing. And so testing actually became, you know, you would think when something's medical, you'd have better testing than when it's recreational. Right. But guess what? It took a lot of the, you know, the black curtains away and it opened up a lot of doors and channels to say, hey, if more people are going to be using this, we need to be testing this better. Right. And we need to have more accuracy in this world. So now here in California, we've got much better standards than we ever had before. Mm -hmm. We're sh shutting down more illegal shops, mm -hmm. which has its own cost benefit right. and taxation. I'm not going to get into that. But the best part has really been putting in better rules and mandating better testing. So you're saying so, that when someone goes to buy a certain thing, every time that store and another store has the name of that thing, it's really going to pretty much be the same thing. Right, within about a 5 to 10% margin of error, right. which is roughly what we give pharmaceutical companies. Right. So within a margin of error. And then what about, how, what about like when someone buy, goes to buy an edible, like candy? How do you know in a, if someone buys a chocolate bar and they mix the bar, how do you know that the THC CBD isn't going to just be in one corner of right. the bar? So first of all, I tell everyone the same thing. Yeah. Edibles are for professional cannabis users and for your physician only. It's the, the idea is, is that a novice user, somebody who's never used you know, cannabis, medical marijuana, pop products mm -hmm. in general, don't start with an edible because your goal is not to get high two hours from now. Right. Your goal is to get high or to get, 
you know, feeling relaxed right now. So Mm -hmm. if that's your goal, use something that will affect you right now and Mm -hmm. not affect you in two hours. And because most people who are using this and landing in the emergency department are people who are using edibles because they just don't know what they're doing. Wait, so why are people landing in the emergency department? Great question. Thank you. I only ask great (laughs) questions. So we have a handful of older adults who, let's say, over 60 that's young. I know. I, right? I agree. Come on. But they have adult children. There. They have adult children. That's right. really the key. Uh-huh. Anybody who has an adult child who bought a candy bar or right. a Rice Krispies treat or bought a set of mints right. that it, took it out of its wrapper and left it lying around. And then what ends up happening is mom or dad takes a bite oh. of that cookie, mm-hmm. that brownie, that Rice Krispies treat and thought it was delicious. So they ate the whole thing. Right. <gasps> Oh, wow. These That's a huge edibles dose. are, to give people perspective, it's a month's worth of medication mm-hmm. for some. Mm-hmm. Okay, so imagine if you took a month's worth of any mm-hmm. pill, right, any pill bottle, and you just slammed it. It yeah. would be the same thing, right? right? Except that this is not lethal. Right. Okay? That's the biggest advantage, bar none. Right. It's not lethal. Right. Um, so they take a whole bar, and then two hours later or an hour and a half later all of a sudden they feel dizzy they feel woozy they feel confused they feel like this world is spinning around them they vomit i'm sure if yeah if they, they took a whole miserable. candy bar like, yeah. i can't they imagine they, they must think miserable. they're dying their heart rate goes up their blood pressure can drop and they feel panicked they feel like they're going to die and so they call 911 they land in the er and what ends up happening for again, the reason I, sp- I speak about adults over 60 specifically is because some of these symptoms mimic a cerebellar stroke. Mm. And when the ER and the patient doesn't know if they took anything, mm. they have mm. to err on the side of caution. Now they do a $20,000 stroke workup, mm. they activate the stroke code, they you know go through all these processes. And guess what? Here at Cedars, we've had a couple patients who get TPA or you know, life-saving blood thinners because they think they're having a cerebellar stroke. Mm. No joke, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we know that this is a really potentially detrimental medication to right. that. And then they find out, wait, they took an edible. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you my experience with this was a, a Persian man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm Persian myself. So you can't see me over a podcast. So a Persian man who landed in RER at St. John's, this was probably a few years ago now, and he mimicked the signs of a stroke, cerebellar stroke. He was dizzy, vertiginous, nauseated, and was not having some difficulty with word finding. That's right. the other issue. Yeah. Right? And so we run the stroke code. Um, his wife alerts his adult mm-hmm. sons that he's having a stroke. Mm-hmm. And the adult son shows up to the ER. And as I'm talking with the telestroke doctor, the neurologist, should we or should we not give this patient TPA? And I just felt uneasy because there wasn't, there, it was missing that certain gusto, right? Our medicine is an art, yeah, not a perfect science. It yeah. was missing, he was missing something and didn't fit into the mm-hmm. multiple cerebellar strokes I'd seen before. And as we're discussing it, the adult son comes in and says, Dad, what happened to that Rice Krispies treat <gasps> that I left in the oh front seat, the passenger seat of my car? You borrowed my car earlier. He's like, I ate it. He goes, it was laced with pot right? Right. it's a cannabis product yeah. and all of a sudden i hear laughter erupting from our trauma bay where this patient is mm-hmm. sitting and i walk in and they're like oh doc i'm fine right i'm gonna go get some persian food right and, mm-hmm. like you know in seconds we disconnect yeah. everything mm-hmm. and can avoid giving the yeah. patient tpa and have right. hospitalized has anyone ever tried to 
test to see is there a lethal dose of cannabis? Yes. They have? So I think it's something like 10,000 Oh, there is a lethal dose, though. We've never seen it in humans. Uh I believe they did it in a rat study, and it's 10,000 times per per kilo. Wow. Um, Why are institutions so behind on studying this stuff? So behind. But it's nice, though, like on your website, the Real Leaf in- Relief Institute. Yes. com. you have a lot of those studies. That's right. And you so even have I ones that are like the negative, you know, effects. Yeah, because we, yeah, listen, I always tell people, I go, I'm not a pusher. This is right, not right, my, right. this is not my drug. I'm not making money off of this. So right. you use it, you don't use it. I don't make any money off of it. The only thing I make money off of is giving good medical advice. That's it. That's 100% of what I do. So if it has a bad outcome for something like immunotherapy with mm-hmm. cancer, for example, using it for organ transplants, teach these contra or, sorry, teach these indicated CBD is contraindicated. Why? Why? Because it, it affects tacrolimus levels. Mm. So we, okay. so it's really and it's really important right now. Tacrolimus is a uh, anti-rejection right. drug. Yeah. So it's really important to actually start talking about each chemical independently. Mm. It's like mm-hmm. it's like bulking twin sisters or twin brothers together and saying it's the same person. Nope, you got. Some twins have different personalities. You gotta got a whole start. bunch of analogies. It's good. The twins, yeah. the So the yin uh-huh. and the yang. Right. We gotta start attributing things to THC in isolation and to CBT in isolation and to combinations in isolation. So mm. we can't say all A or all B anymore. It can't just be cannabis, pot, hemp. It has to really be specific to THC and CBD. So coming back to mm. you know, pros and cons. You know, we're starting to see studies now in the dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, neurodegenerative world that says, hey, THC might actually be helpful. And guess what? Maybe, just maybe, it's potentially regenerative in old brains, not in new ones, not in young ones. And guess what? There's a difference between young brains and old brains. Like, right. Why do we have to lump 20 and over all together? Sure. Why do I have to have the same brain as my... 95 year old grandma yeah that's don't have the same brain yeah right so when you started your practice how many days a week were you doing it one and a half two Uh uh-huh and now and how many patients were you seeing a day back when you started back when i started i was seeing maybe you know five a month right and now now, six five years later four years later four days a week full clinic days and how many patients you see a day so i'll see a new patient will take an hour uh-huh. and a follow-up patient will take 30 minutes right and people are sometimes you know baffled as to what takes an hour with cannabis and it's really important and how often do you see follow-ups or how often you t- talk to follow-up patients? follow-ups get it's really i say kind of like a psychiatrist so really at the beginning you want to see them more closely because mm-hmm. they want to titrate their medication right and then as they do well you see them further and further apart or as they don't respond to it mm-hmm. i say yeah. don't stick to it if you're not doing well with it right what, you know, what percentage of patients don't either don't like it or or don't respond to it about 20 percent don't like it. Right. Just for yeah, yeah, yeah. one reason or another. Right. You know, we're seeing about 60 to 70% respond. Mm-hmm. Some, some response. Yeah. And we're right. seeing a good, you know, so depends on what the problem was. So with neuropathic facial pain, for example, we're seeing a really good response. Mm. Um, in, in, a, in a world where people say trigeminal neuralgia and post-repetic neuralgia of the face are, you know, the silent suicide case. Those are horrible. They're horrible. Yeah. And so we can use a THC-based medication. Wow. I had one patient who was hospitalized here at Cedars for a mm-hmm. week and a half using mm-hmm. IV narcotics. 
and had still poor pain relief and mm. was miserable. And within a week, she was back to normal. Wow. So, I mean, those are yeah. the responses right. that you say, why not? You know, if I get that even for one out of every four, right. which I'm not. I'm getting much more than that. But why not treat those Why patients? not try? Right. And so part of this whole, the whole reason I started this EM news kind of discussion, mm. or the column, it's called The Case for Cannabis. Mm. And the whole discussion point is, is, how do you not know what you're talking to your patients about? Yeah. Like, how is it that the conversation stops at I smoke pot? Like, that's the end of the conversation for 99% of yeah. physicians. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because we've never been educated on it. We've never talked about but it. But not only that, up till recently, people wouldn't even talk about, admit that they admit were using it. some form of pot. It's that's only right. recent that, that people are willing to Oh, patients to are willing that. to even yeah. say it. Yeah. It. Because it's been legalized. Correct. And they don't feel like they're going to get yeah. penalized. I think another problem why the cannabis industry has taken so long to to come around and I think why people were reluctant is because the names of these products, right. it's not like I'm having a Merlot, which right. sounds fancy, you know, or it's I'm having Kush or Snoop Doggy thing. Right. Like, how could that be okay? Right, when Cheech right. and Chong right. are, your, are your, the two people you think of first right. when you think right. of this, it's not, it's not a... But like you said, we're starting to change our outlook. So do you think in like five years, like more doctors like will be able to actually talk to their patients about this openly? Oh, yeah, hands down. I think that not only the tide is turning, but the federal tide is turning and it's only a matter of time. We have 33 states that have medically legal cannabis mm-hmm. rules and 11 states plus Washington, D.C. that has... Um, recreational right so it's and every year every election it's like changing again it, that ticker quick uh, turns very fast right mm-hmm. so where do you dr sherry if i see yourself with this in say five years i think you're just going to be in higher and higher demand i don't think you have time to work at the er <laughs> right. right so in five years from now so i've already dropped uh, quite a bit of my er practice so okay. i'm already down to just a couple days a month doing er okay um we're seeing uh, um a little bit of movement into the dementia alzheimer's like i mentioned parkinson's multiple sclerosis so the neurocognitive disorders and I call it the silver tsunami. So we know that there's a huge rise in the number of older patients. Uh-huh. And and if if that continues to blossom the way we're seeing it, we're hopefully going to bring this into a formal clinical setting with your local neurosurgeon and neurologist and brain health guru talking about not just you know, hard and fast pharmacy or pharmaceutical medications, but how cannabis can play into that okay. and how we can adjust your medications. And then the second part of that, if if I can really expand, is oncology. So those are t- really two of the, the largest demand because the patients are using it. Okay. They're discussing. They're bringing it to us, and we're just starting to respond. We're, we're, and we're very slacker. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just very, but hopefully this will be intricately involved in either your neurologic disorders or your oncologic disorders, and your local doctors will be talking about it. Right. Do you see the Relief Institute being countrywide, like there being a Relief yeah. Institute in every city? Yeah, I think that every major hospital who has either an oncology department or who has a neuroscience department, a neurology department, mm-hmm. a psychiatric department should absolutely have a Relief Institute-based set of guidelines mm-hmm. so if we can streamline a lot of this for, for physicians and say, you know, we're going to have 
better medicine available to you and you can recommend this on a very easy, fast track basis where you can check off a box and have patients pick it up at the local pharmacy or the local dispensary in a medical track. Mm-hmm. So we have a medical track created for you. What's going to happen when the government, when the federal government legalizes this stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, is it going to become harder to actually get? Will it be like now you have to get a prescription? Right. You know, is it going to make right. things worse possibly? So hear me out. Anybody in policy, legal making, yeah. decision making factors. Policymakers, we need to understand that there is a certain amount that should be allotted for recreational use. Right. And then there is a certain amount more of which should be allotted for medical use. It doesn't preclude one from the other. You right. can't, you don't have to take away from uh, uh, Rob Peter to pay Paul. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? We mm-hmm. don't have to mm-hmm. rob one another. Ibuprofen is a great example. Ibuprofen is available over the counter at 200 milligrams. Right. Guess what? Is there a prescription strength? 800. That's right. Yeah. Six. Anything above 600 is there prescription you strength. Right. So you can get, and then you can get it covered by insurance, mm. and you can go to a doctor and get mm. it, right? And there's indications for it. So we should be using that really as what the differences are. Gotcha. Right? So below a certain level, sure, you know, below a level that will be intoxicating to the point where it's 99% THC, that shouldn't be recreationally available. So they may... So it may hurt the recreational people then. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't because I think at the end of the day, the recreational market is hurting itself. Right. Because you really don't need 90% THC for any way, shape, or form to right. get high. Right. You really don't. But chronic smokers do build up a tolerance. They do, but in the 60s and 70s, they also built up a tolerance. Very right? true. Yeah. So the 60s mm-hmm. is a perfect example. It wasn't, you know, being withheld there. And right. they were using 6 to 7 to 8%. Getting really good stuff was 9% THC back in right. the day. And that did everybody just fine. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, hash was kind of the, like, if you can get hash, which mm-hmm. is probably closer to, like, 15 20%. Right. So you're, THC. THC. Mm-hmm. So you're not looking at, oh, my God, we're taking something away from the recreational user. Right. I think, in fact, what we're doing is saying, hey, you may need a medical evaluation if you really need 90% THC. Right. Shouldn't that be a safety net for our patients? Right. Don't you need a medical evaluation? At some point, we have to be saying, if you're using nightly and you're in your 30s and 40s, don't you need to talk to a therapist? Don't you need to talk to somebody because well, there's something going on? Well, then right? we have to tell all the alcoholics, too. We, we sure do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, which is, please tell all which the Which is most Americans. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This was amazing, Dr. Sherry Afai. Thank you. Thank you for being willing to come. It was so on informative and helpful. Great. I almost feel like this is only part one or chapter one, and we're going to have to have you back. Yeah, we'll do we'll do another chapter. For sure. Good time. So thanks for joining Thank us on Gross Anatomy. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Thanks. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.